Welcome to On Mission, the teaching ministry of the Mission Church in Urbandale, Iowa. We exist to love God by loving others. Today we conclude Mike's message on Luke. I think we would tend to say, oh, it's the atheist, it's the agnostic. Well, they certainly have hard hearts, that's true, but, but really, I don't think their hearts are the hardest hearts. The hardest hearts are the religious people who think that their good works have already made them right with God. And so for the religionists, the thought of a faith-filled repentance, just, it just doesn't make any sense. And what we've got to realize is this, that the realities of the gospel are not discerned through moralistic works of religion, but exclusively through the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. Religionists. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says, The natural person, the unbelieving person, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly or they are foolish to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. A yieldedness, a willing to hear and, and be moved by the Spirit is required to understand the message. So we find the hardened heart. The second one we find here is what I'm calling the shallow, shallow heart. The shallow heart. You know, during my years of pastoral ministry, I've encountered numerous people who fall under this description. So I thought back on them. This, this was what came to me, that people who are of this type, they seem to come out of the gate very fast. Having heard the gospel, they just, they just went, wow, okay, let me have some of that. And they come out with an exuberant joy. And they tend to begin to want to make a lot of spiritual commitments very fast. They want to be at the center of everything that is going on. The problem is that for many of them, they cool down And they fall away as fast as they heat it up in their profession of faith. Truth point number four tells us that one of the marks of a true believer is perseverance. Perseverance is a mark of a true believer. A true believer's faith is not necessarily a speedy boil, but a slow, simmering endurance. You know, it's very distressing to see someone profess faith and fall away. To see them say, either with their mouth or with their actions, that they no longer have interest in the things of Christ. And we, we shake our head when that happens and we wonder, what's happening? We're beginning to see a lot of that today. Finding stories of pastors who are renouncing their faith. I don't get it. The Apostle John gives us a clue. He writes in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, that they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that all are not of us. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 4 says, For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 13, Jesus said, But the one who endures to the end will be saved. What does that mean? Well, let me be clear about something. It is not the act of holding firm or enduring to the end that brings salvation. That's not the way it works. But saving grace generates a confidence. And saving grace will generate an endurance in those it dwells. There is a depth to God's children, a depth that will persevere from this life to the next. 
That's not to say that believers won't be beaten and battered and find themselves doubting and fearful and go from pillar to post and up and down. We'll experience that. But through that, we will hold on to Christ because in our hearts, we've come to know that he is the one. It's kind of like Peter. You know, there was a time when Jesus, and we may come to it here pretty soon, I think we are, where Jesus begins to really turn up the heat and he says, you know what, if you want to follow me, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And people, it says right there in scripture, they understood he was not speaking literally, but he was speaking figuratively. And it says that the masses just said, man, that is crazy. That is just too much commitment. And they walked away and Jesus looked at his disciples and said, well, are you going to go with them? And I'm sure that Peter was going, oh, he was confused as much as anybody else. But he looks at Jesus and he says, well, where would we go? You alone have the words of life. Man, I can tell you in my own life, I've been there. I have been in that place where it was like, I'm like half a step from falling off the cliff. And I would have, except for this, that 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 scripture just kept coming back to me. And I would say, and I would reason through it and I would try to figure it out. And I couldn't figure it out. But at the end of the day, I would just say, well, Jesus, I could go somewhere else. I could do something else. I could throw my Bible in the trash and walk on, but where would I go? Because I know there's not truth elsewhere. So you have the words of life. And that is the work of perseverance. And that is the work of the Spirit of God in the heart of a true follower. The third kind of heart Jesus talks about, I'm calling it the crowded heart. The crowded heart. As much as I've seen shallow hearts among professing believers, I have seen more that I would call the crowded heart. Jesus said that these are those who hear the gospel and they seem to absorb it. But in time, their profession of faith is choked out by the worries, the riches, and the pleasures of life. Now, with the exception of the word worries, I want you to take note here that it is not the suffering of life that causes one to to fail, but the pleasures of life, pleasures of life. I think of the rich young ruler of Luke chapter 18. He came to Jesus asking, what what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus points him to the law and he says, uh, and the young man, as he was thinking about the law, he boasted to Jesus of his impeccable morality. Jesus doesn't even question that. He just simply says, well, uh, let me put it to the test. He says, okay, then go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor and and, and come follow me. But what did the young man do? The Bible says he hung his head and he walked away in sadness because he was so rich. It seems that his affluence had become the object of worship. And he was unwilling to give that worship totally to the Lord. Truth point number five communicates this, that Christ demands the throne of our heart. He will not share it nor abdicate it to our idols. When the realities of discipleship call, the crowded heart will respond to its true God, the cares and or pleasures of the world. The final kind of soil that I find here, the receptive heart, the receptive heart. You know, this receptive heart is like the dark, rich soil of Iowa. It receives the seed of the word and it grows and it bears fruit. 
Luke doesn't say much about fruit, though he mentions it. Matthew and Mark both mention it in a fuller picture. But all three of these gospel writers make it clear that the bearing of fruit is important. And it is an evidence of a regenerated heart. But there is a difference in the the quantity and and the quality of fruit from person to person. Truth point number six says that not every receptive heart will yield a hundredfold. Some do. Some only yield 80. Some only yield 60. Some only yield 30. Some may only 20. Some may only 10. But the point is not how much fruit is being yielded or even what the quality of the fruit is. It comes down to this. There is no such thing as a barren Christian. I can't find that anywhere in the scripture. That I'm saved and I'm just barren. I suppose the thief on the cross maybe. Since, you know, he got saved and he had no opportunity. But I don't think he was barren. I think the fruit of faith was there, huh? Most definitely. So we come to the end. And I say this to you, that it is absolutely a fact that in this crowd this morning, each one of these hearts is represented. Each one of these hearts is represented in this crowd this morning. And another thing that I want to say is that we all have a heart. And I'm not talking about that organ that pumps the blood. I'm talking about your innermost being. We all have that part. And our heart is either hard or shallow or crowded, or receptive. Can I tell you that only the receptive heart has forgiveness of sin and right stand? Only the receptive. You ask the question, well, what about the other three? Do they have a chance? Is there any hope? Well, yeah. The good news is that hard, shallow, crowded hearts can be redeemed because the miracle of the gospel is that God can change a heart. My heart has been hard. My heart has been shallow. My heart has been crowded. And it's the miracle of the gospel and the work of the Spirit of God that has caused it to be receptive. It wasn't me that caused it to be that way. So what do we do with a sermon like that? What do we do with it? This is where we really need to be paying attention. What do we do with it? Well, let me tell you that we start by praying for the unbelieving people. That's what we do. We start there. We start by praying. We start by asking God to soften their heart. We ask God to convict them of their sin and to convince them of Jesus as the only answer. And we prepare ourselves so that when the opportunity comes, we can adequately talk about the realities of the gospel and perhaps be used of God to lead them into a saving faith in Jesus. Do not sit there in your seats this morning and think that God is not interested in using you to bring your children or your grandchildren or your spouse or your neighbor or your coworker or your workout buddy or or whomever else. Don't don't sit there and think he's not interested in using you to make that difference because in fact he is interested in using you. But how can he use us if we don't take the time and the effort to Grab a hold of a few tools that we can use when the opportunity comes. I've seen so many professing believers who don't have any tools. They think that the gospel is just about them. About their heart being saved and their sins being forgiven and their entry into the kingdom. Well, that's beautiful. It is about that. 
But it's also about being used of the Spirit to be an influence on those around you. Because just like we, we, we saw, the evidence and the testimony of the power of God is shown in the transformed life. And if our lives are being transformed, it's going to be noticeable to other people. And sooner or later, they will inquire. And when they do, are we ready? Are we prepared? It's a question that only you can answer. So that's one of the things that we do with this message. We, we begin to pray for the unbelieving. We ask God to soften their heart, to convict them of sin, to convince them of Jesus. And we do what is necessary to ready ourselves to be part of that ministry. The second thing is this, is that when you sense that God is at work in you, when you sense that God is at work in you, do not. Instead, invite him into your life. Ask Christ to forgive your sins. Ask him to be your Savior and Lord. Because the promise of Scripture is that anyone who responds to Christ in faith, he will not cast them out. But he will receive them and he will transform them. He will save cleanse and make them his own. So when we sense that God is doing something, don't resist. Give, give, him, give him what he asks for because he's wanting to bring you to him. Can't help but wonder where our hearts are today. Hard, shallow, crowded, receptive. This is On Mission. The Mission Church is located at 12001 Ridgemont Drive in Urbandale. To learn more about our ministry, visit our website at themissiondsm.org or call us at 515-255-2122. We gather for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. We would be honored for you to join us. Have a blessed day, and thank you for listening to On Mission.